We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 236. Our guest today is a five-time Olympian, two-time Olympic silver medalist, author, clinician, and international show jumper. In 1991, the U.S. Olympic Committee voted her Female Equestrian Athlete of the Year. In 2017, she was inducted into the Show Jumping Hall of Fame. She is super passionate about the promotion of the sport and serves as a USHJA clinician. She's a member of the USHJA and USET executive committees and the USEF board of directors. She is an incredible resource, especially with young athletes who are really looking to have big aspirations and goals in the industry. A lot of times our sport is maybe a little bit behind in the sense that a lot of mainstream sports have a really cut out process for an athlete to get from the beginner stages to the top level of the sport, where it seems like most Olympic show jumpers have lots of different processes and routes that they got to where they are today. So Anne is one of these moving parts that is working towards making that road for equestrians clearer and clearer. And I just think she's doing such an incredible job. I just realized I gave away our guest, but without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Ann Krasinski. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy lady, so we'll get right to it. Tell me how you first found yourself in the horse world. Oh, wow. Long time ago, uh, I was four years old and I think I just wanted to ride. And um, my mother had ridden and um, as a kid and my great grandfather had a, they say the largest horse and mule dealership uh, in kind of Pennsylvania at one time, oh, wow. my great grandfather. And they say the the tra- uh, tractor put him out of business basically, you know, but so he had driving horses and things and which of course I never really knew anything about, but Somewhere, I guess it was in the blood. And then throughout your career, I mean, you have some very impressive achievements. Is there one kind of like looking back that sticks out in your mind as being a very like pivotal or monumental moment for you? Well, oh, I don't know. There's so many in a sense. I was fortunate to get to go to Spruce Meadows when I was still in high school to ride on the on the U.S. team then. And that was really, I was in California, you know, I grew up in California. Ride, we had a West Coast team and Spruce Meadows had just started. And so to be on a U.S. team and get the pink coat and, you know, ride in a five-star Nations Cup then was like, wow, this is really what I want to do. And not that we we didn't win. I don't even know how we how we ended up placing. Uh, but but really, that is what sparked my interest, I think, to really say, oh, I want to get keep grow from California. Could I one day get to the Olympic Games? Those kinds of things. So that really started Spruce Meadows like 76, I think, 1976, still in high school. Yeah. Wow. Love it. Um, when did you make your way to the East Coast? Then uh, 81, you know, I had ridden with Jimmy Williams in California at Flat Ridge Riding Club and um, then hooked up with George Morris and to go to the East Coast and rode there with him then for many years. But that was the real start. Um, got my my a top, top horse, Livius, in 81, who uh, 
took me to the first World Cup finals in 81, then on to Pan Am Games and Olympic Games. And Livius was really the horse that did it. And yet he was owned by a California syndicate from the riding club. And of course, my family was all involved, but it was really to, yeah, could I go to the Los Angeles Olympic Games uh, in 1984? So from 81, was really, really the focus. Could I get there? And and I was lucky I got there. I ended up being the, the reserve rider. Um, but I was thankful to be there. And that was sort of the beginning of that of part of my life. Definitely. Obviously, the jumpers require a lot of skill and can get very technical. Can you tell us, in your opinion, what you would say are the elements that really make for a good jumper round? Oh, um, you and your horse becoming one at the end. And, you know, when you watch the top riders today, uh, McLean and BZ and, and Kent, they, they, all of those, it's like the, they're doing it together. They're doing it as one. The, the, the connection is so outstanding with the horse and the rider. Um, as far as the rider, I think having a good position that you're not disturbing the horse, all of that goes with going to the gym these days and being fitter off the horse, but then, then really so that you're, looking ahead, your eyes are so important, your balance with the horse. I mean, there's so many little integral things that go to it. But to me, that position that you're with the horse, eyes thinking ahead, looking ahead. Of course, I think visualization is a huge part to any of that. You know, again, the top ones you watch today, they have a plan and then and then can you execute it? So really that um, combination with your horse, that, that uh, being one, and, and for me, it also not interfering with the horse, you know, then some riders can sort of overdo it sometimes and, and be too strong or too whatever, then others are a little too soft. So it's finding that sweet spot uh, where you, you are, are uh, helping your horse, you know, how fast you've got another, how fast, where to make the short turns, where to leave a stride out and all of that. And then to be able to do that as invisibly most of the time as possible to not not to, to give your horse the best, uh, oh, signals and aids to say this is what we're doing, but then not distract them either. You know, that's the that's the art of, of it. Obviously, that takes a ton of time and practice. And while, of course, it's important to practice jumping, you also believe strongly in the importance of good flat work. Why do you think flat work is just so important? at step and kind of foundation in order to jump well? Oh, I think it's so, it's the foundation, like you say, um, because that's where you and your horse really do get that, that invisible communication. It, for them, it's like going to the gym or doing yoga, you know, the basic dressage and things forward, backwards, turning left and right with a minimum amount of ease, you know, with good balance and, and, you know, developing horses from when they're young to getting older that they, how how light they are to the aids you know you look one way and they're looking that way they're turning that way and but that starts with your basic you know leg yielding and shoulder in and and your basic dressage movements that get the horses also the flat work stronger behind developing the correct muscles to jump gallop and jump and turn uh like i say like going to the gym um doing yoga how to get the horses to use their their backs and their stifles and their hind ends so they can lift themselves better to, to, to jump, to slow down, to turn. You know, all of that is happening on the flat, even with poles on the ground sometimes. 
also then not overjumping the horses. Um, you know, I think having the horses fresh enough that they love to jump, they want to jump, not that you've jumped them to death and then they're bored or they're, they don't really care about the jumps too much because you've jumped them so much. So there's always that fine line, that balance that they're confident enough and they're, you've jumped, well, yes, you can jump high and you can jump wide and they've used those muscles as well. But then today also with the courses being so technical uh, at a racing gallop, you know, meter 50, meter 60, that they're, they're so well-tuned forward, backwards, turning left and right uh, with, a, with that minimum amount of effort. To me, that starts on the flat. And all the top riders, you go to the FEI ring early in the morning, they're flatting their horses uh, and, and it's the responsiveness. Um, so they're practically reading your minds. Uh, so, so it's the gymnastic part of it, forward, backwards. Can you, can you get them on a long stride? Can you get them on a short stride quickly? Do they, how well they turn? And then also keeping them fresh for their jumping that it's like, oh, yippee, we get to jump, not, oh, we're going to work again and we got to jump again. So, so that, that to me is why the flat work is so important. Besides being a rider and trainer, you're also a clinician. And I've heard that one of your signature exercises requires your students to knot their reins and perform various exercises. So why do you use this methodology? Tell me, give me the rundown. And <laughs> why, what, what would you say knotting the reins does for students? Well, for me, the knot, it's very simple. And I, I end up doing it more than I think I'm going to sometimes, but right away, to me, it gets the rider where they should be um, on the flat, maybe a little longer rein with a knot. So their hands work together as a pair uh, when you knot the reins, especially, especially on the flat, but all the time they have, the riders have to use their seat and their legs and their core and their balance more. Again, getting the horse's hind legs and their back and that connection. So less hands is in a sense. And most books you read, they say hands over in front of the withers, uh, no further apart than your thumbs are long about. And some riders, they get their hands very wide or they get busy with their hands. So that right away takes that away. Uh, and they'll tell you when I ask them afterwards, so what did you get out of that? And they'll say, oh, I had to use my legs more. I had to use my seat more and that it gets smoother. Then galloping and jumping, I, I like a short knot because I, personally, I like a lighter seat, generally galloping and jumping. I still like a little bit of a lighter seat, not a, not a deep, even a lot of Europeans have a little lighter. And when you're galloping and going fast, so having that knot up there, same thing, it helps them get a little out of the saddle. Then again, when they're turning, they're using both reins. You, you, you have the outside rein to control the shoulder. It just makes everything way more simple. I mean, when you see it, it's hard to say it, you know, just talking about it like this. So many times the riders, you put in that short knot in the reins, the horses are happier. The rider is doing less, actually, with better balance and getting way more done. Even it fascinates me sometimes when I, when I just do it. I've done it enough that I think, oh, we just put the knot in. God, the riders do less. The horses are happier. And even, again, in the end, they're like, wow, I'm doing less. And, and it's all working. You know, they, it's, it's pretty funny. So, and some of that may be even trusting the horses a little more. As, as I say, the riders do less. You know, the horses know how to gallop and jump. God gave them that. We don't do that. Most horses really kind of jump better without a human being up there. You know, if you put them on a lunge line or in a jumping chute. So, so anyway, that's the knot in the reins. Yeah. 
Oh, I love that. I might have to try that on my clients. <laughs> yeah, give it a try. See what you let me know. <laughs> oh, I love it. So now give me a little bit of a rundown. Let's say day of a big class, you are walking in to do the course walk. Give me kind of your insight as to what you are looking at, the tracks that you're walking, what you're kind of visualizing and doing to really prepare yourself for when you're in there jumping. Well, first thing when you walk into the arena, really looking at the arena, is there anything spooky? Is there a tell screen up at the end? Or are you in the indoor, the outdoor? How's the footing? If there's a puddle or something. So really also seeing your surroundings um, and or is there going to be a big crowd? So maybe your young horse is going to be impressed that you need to focus more. Those kind of things. Just walking into the ring, I'll sort of take a look at that. Just, Just the atmosphere and again, the size of the ring, all of those things. And then as I walk the course again, see where the start markers are, especially for now these tight time allowed and or the, the jump offs, you know, if there's an angle or something that might be more beneficial. So first of all, you know, where the start marker is before the first fence to take that into consideration. Um, and then always the jumps, the lines, you know, walking up to each jump as if I were really coming to jumping them on the horse. So not just at the angle or just being casual about it, especially as you say, it's a big class and it's an important class. So, so, you know, looking at the first jump, how's the approach? Uh, probably a little loose, a little forward to that first one to have confidence. And then looking at the track to the next jump, is it a straight line? Is it a bending line? Those kind of things. Again, the type of jump, is it an oxer? Maybe I'll come a little bolder, a little stronger, like the first jump. Is it a vertical, a tall, airy vertical? Might come a little more balanced. You know, sometimes that the horse builder builds just a tall vertical for the first jump. And sometimes the horses are a little dumber, you know, or a little um, not paying enough attention. So maybe you have a little more balance to that first one. You know, then again, like I say, track to the next jump, walk the, walk the distance in between. As you're walking the course then, are there options? You know, are you on a shorter strided horse or a bigger strided horse? Um, would it be a direct line or a bending line? So kind of taking that definitely into consideration, you know, looking through the turns, as, as I say, when I'm walking, I really look as if I'm riding the track. Uh, part of that also to say, oh, the time allowed is probably snug today. The times are quite tight. Fi- watching where should I make a little shorter turn? You know, that it's a, a um, maybe not a, not a, delicate jump or a, or a skinny jump or something, maybe there you want to take a little longer approach. But as you're going around to say, oh, here I can make a short turn or here I can gallop, you know, there's you know no jump for a while. So, you know, off of diagonal or somewhere, where can I make up time? Those kind of things. Um, again, the, the type of jump, is it a plank? So I need to come probably a little more balanced, maybe sit up a little more because it's a, it's a big plank. Uh, seeing where the where the combinations are in the course again, what's the approach to say a combination? Do, you know, come with enough of a gallop if it's sort of oxer oxer. It's going to be big and scopy. Planning that, you know, visualizing that. Oh, I've got to come kind of boldly. It's an oxer oxer or something. A big pair of verticals. I might say, oh, I'm coming off the turn here, and I'm going to slow down. I'm going to be balanced. I'm going to sit up a little more because now I need him to curl the verticals. Um, then again, eyes. What's the next jump? You know, is there then a gallop off to something? So when I walk the course, really watching the track. Where can I make time? Where should I maybe be a little more patient? Like I say, like it's a big skinny, a delicate jump, uh, something like that. Oh, I'm going to take a little time here, but then I need to make up time somewhere else. 
um, again, knowing my horse, is he, if he's got this big, bold stride, can I leave a stride out or two? You know, some of those big horses in McLean's, he can just walk these lines and leave a stride out and, and make up time. Whereas a little horse is going, dun, 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 you know, a little galloping, maybe adding the stride. So, so watching that as well. Again, if there was a water jump or a Liverpool, again, making sure if I, if I need a little help on a greener horse or it's quite, quite wide, okay, here I'm going to go a little wider here to give myself a good gallop and make sure my horse is confident at the water. Yet then after the water, ooh, if there's something normally a little short or delicate, after the water jump, can I slow down? You know, I've got to ride the water enough, ride across the tape, and then, and then again, and that's part of it, and then then sit up, slow down to the careful next jump. In the moment, uh, being able to ride the jump uh, that you're at, you know, like I say, the water jump, maybe you have to really get to the takeoff, you really have to ride across the tape so they get across it. Once I'm over the tape, then I have to slow down for the for the next, you know, vertical or or combination maybe that's coming. So all of those things, walking and watching, and then really in my mind's eye, riding the whole course over and over in my head uh, as if, I mean, I've done that for years, as if I were jumping it, you know, where do I have a gallop? Where do I now need to sit down and slow down because there's a a big skinny or, or a tight combination? Then, then again, okay, now I need to make a little time here. Uh, So get up off their back and gallop over to the, to the next one. And, and as I say, taking into consideration a little bit the footing or the, the grandstand, those kinds of things. So, so I, I get a plan when I walk the course, and then I rehearse it over and over in my mind's eye. And then, of course, try to watch. If you don't have to go first, you get to watch some of the other riders, uh, horses, to see, oh, wow, um, that combination is not causing a problem, but that skinny on the far side with the, gr- with the crowd behind it. Oh, there you really do need to take time. So then maybe you change your plan a little bit. But and that's the fun of it to to really, you know, when you walk it to, oh, did you analyze it right? And then if you can get to watch some uh, to, to adjust your plan if you need to. Since 2004, the USHJA has created programs, offered education, and has supported members of the hunter and jumper sport. In 2022, the USHJA has created the We Are US Hunter Jumper campaign to highlight all things hunter and jumper, so everyone can understand everything this fantastic sport has to offer. This month, we'll focus on all things jumpers, and on May 20th, I will host a USHJA Instagram Live at 6 p.m. Eastern. I will speak to two amazing jumper riders, a junior and a professional, and they will answer your questions and we will give away terrific prizes. Be sure to follow along on social with the hashtag WeAreUSHunterJumper to find out more, learn a ton, and not miss a thing. You're also very passionate, I feel like, about promoting the sport of jumpers in general. You work a lot with USHJA. Um, you're on lots of boards with North American Youth Championships and Preta States. Tell me about the importance of being a part of USHJA in that way to kind of raise awareness and, and move the needle for the jumping community. Yeah, well, this is my passion for sure. Horses and riding and having had a successful career to to try to inspire other young riders, you know, how to get there. This is what they want to do. And 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 as well uh, on 
with parents, with out there in the community, even doing this speaking with you to, to, you know, I was so lucky that I really had great mentors when I grew up. And I, you know, I had this little voice in my head that this is what I want to do. And to try to find those kids today, same thing, to inspire them and say, you know, if you work hard and this is really what you want to do. And some, you know, talking to them about their horses or their training occasionally, you know, someone will just come up and ask me and I, and I love to help out that way or to get a better horse at, you know, that or where to maybe go show. So I love that. Um, I've also taught several of these gold star clinics with the USHJA, and that's really fun to see. Uh, and again, from from a little bit, some of them jump a little lower, and then some through the gold star jump higher. And to really touch base with those riders, uh, to get to know them, then even to, to help them there, but then even to follow them. Um, that some have gone on to you know get on our young rider teams, and then and then go on and get on really a maybe a real uh, like a three star Nations Cup team. So really following them along that way. Uh, sharing with them my stories of winning and losing also, you know, we all, you know, uh, overcoming adversity and things. Um, So to share that. And so giving back to the sport, I have always been a big believer in that um, to inspire others and or an owner that has a horse. And yeah, let's find a good young rider for that, for their horse to, to, you know, be part of a team that way. So I think, um, really the programs, there really is this pathway now that you really can connect the dots. I think USHA has done a great job that way. Starting them, Diane Langer with the the youth coach is fantastic, you know, with the children's jumpers and the junior jumpers. And then I kind of get them at the young rider stage. uh, And then, and then also with USEF, I'm the, um, take some of the riders. I go in a couple of weeks to Lisbon and Madrid to a three-star CSIO three-star Nations Cups. Uh, and I prepare them then also for Robert Ridland to get them on the five-star teams, you know, on the, on the big teams and the championships. Um, so there's this wonderful pathway now that, that riders and trainers and parents can really see how do I get there? Uh, and it really is working out. It's really fun to see, you know, even somebody like um, Jessica Springsteen, you know, she did these these smaller, uh, you know, riding on the Youth Nations Cup kind of stuff and then right up the pathway. I mean, she and starting doing equitation, ponies, a lot of these kids have done that. And yet, yeah, sure, there. And she gets to the Olympic Games. It's a, it's very do. It is doable. Uh, sort of follow your dreams, and uh, yeah, it's it, you know, it's a, it's wonder. It's a wonderful journey with the horses. Yeah, definitely. I, I would love for you to walk me through because I feel like that's a very common question that, and maybe it's just because it's so it's on the newer end that this pathway has been more available and and obvious. But for, let's say a 15 year old comes to you, you know, is doing the USHJA classes like the meter, um, you know, doing like children's jumpers and things like that has a, has a dream to go to the Olympics one day walk that student through for me of what they would need to do in that path with the, with the hopes of getting to the Olympics one day. Well, first to get on their, their zone, you know, we have the, the nation's cups in um, it's been in Traverse city the last, last year. And I think again, this year, the, the zone championships and to start with that, and they have the children's maybe even pre-children's now, you know, they're the FEI categories at that now it's international, but it is USHA. It's our, our little kids doing that. So saying, you know, try to qualify to get on your zone teams, especially to that. Uh, and then from there you can move up and, and getting that team experience, even like the gold star, 
uh, clinics, the the uh, qualifying for the gold stars. There are these teams, these zone teams that you can get on to already get experience that way to be on a team. No, it's not the Olympics, but you're a little kid learning that. And I think all that kind of experience, because mostly we compete by ourselves, but getting on your zone teams and check in not only with your coach, but whoever your zone chef to keep is, who who puts the teams together and can help in your your zone, your area, to again say, okay, from here now next year you've done the juniors. Now we're going to shoot for the for the young riders. You know, get that that's bigger, meter forty, I think. Um, you know, gradually getting bigger having better horses or better training sometimes, but having those goals, I think is fantastic. You know, whereas in Europe, they, they have nation's cups, ponies, children's juniors, because all those countries are so close together. They, as little kids, a lot of them uh, have started right out on teams, you know, that, that we don't, because we're one huge country that doesn't happen. So get with their zones to get started. I think equitation is great. Also. I mean, all of that hunters and equitation for your basics is great from the basic though then yes okay let's go um you know what can i do and then even some of those kids that we have are like there's a gal in texas that's like jumping in the grand prix already and she's like 15 or 16 and you know you know setting your sights on those things i think um I think it's it's great. And as I say, for the real kids, check in with Diane Langer because she's really the the youth chef to keep, um, the national chef to keep to follow that path. Love it. And in your experience, what has this kind of evolution of path been like for you when you were growing up versus now? Oh, it's totally different. My goodness. We just had like junior jumpers, you know, equitation yeah. junior jumpers. Then a little bit into the open jumpers. And when I, like I say, Spruce Meadows was sort of the first team. And that's, you know, Spruce Meadows, even way back when it was big. I mean, the best in the world went there. Uh, And my first international, I think, Nations Cup was Rome. And again, five star, you know, we didn't have like three, we didn't go to three stars or other options. Or, or now these would, and I've taken these teams to the Youth Nations Cup finals in, in Europe, uh, which is fantastic. I mean, we, I didn't have any of that growing up. So it's great for our kids to have this, all of these opportunities uh, to get there. And, and even if some people miss them and get on later, that, that happens as well. But to, you know, start to learn the team jumper team, oh, etiquette, what it's like to be on a team, how to be a team player, all of that when you're young is fantastic. When kids aren't riding, I feel like especially when they are, you know, like really into the their sport, wanting to like soak up all the information they can, do you have any like resources that you feel like would be um, a good place for them to learn even just like the different jumper class formats and, you know, just things that they would need to learn while starting out? Um, oh, that's a good question. I think, I think today they can watch a lot on, on like YouTube and of course videos. There, there's right. all kinds of things like that. Um, I think reading the rule books are important also. Even my my kids and when I take them to Europe, now again, that's more FEI, but make sure they know the FEI rules when we go abroad. So I think really reading the rule book, I think, is a great place to start. You know, I, I that's probably I would say the biggest, best place to start initially. Um, and then again, talk to their zone chefs and Diane Langer about about how you know how to get on teams, how they get selected for teams, that kind of thing uh, would be to talk to the chefs how that selection process goes because each and each zone might be a little different 
Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Tell me a little bit about Market Street, when, like how you started it and a little bit about what you do. Um, it's a farm, my own personal farm, Market Street Incorporated here in Frenchtown, New Jersey. And gosh, it's been like 22 years now I've had the farm, which is amazing wow. and sort of had a had a business before that. Um, I was at George Morris's for like 17 years and and had students and horses and things there. But then now I have a beautiful 130 acre farm here in New Jersey with Grand Prix field and indoor ring and outdoor ring. And um, so riding and teaching, we have hunters and jumpers, you know, both and sales. And uh, I love to teach. I still ride and jump and compete a bit. And so we go to shows and then again, here at home, you know, a nice, a good program, educational program and some sales. So, so that's what, what market street's about. And then, as you say, I also go off and teach some clinics, uh, all over the country, sometimes um, in Europe. And so, yeah, busy riding and teaching. <laughs> I love it. There's always, I feel like once you're kind of in the sport, there's always something to keep you. Absolutely. So many things. And even the kids today learning, you know, getting into the sport, there's so much, whether they, you know, all the things you learn with horses, the ups and downs and the caretaking and the discipline and being in the barn sort of sports psychology, animal psychology, all those things. And yet, even if you don't end up going to the Olympics, you know, some, I've got kids that have, been, that have become a vet, um, that have done other things, that be, get into management. Uh, others that, of course, open their own barns one day. There's so many things you can do in the sport, become a course designer, become a, a steward. Uh, there's so many opportunities um, and you can still ride. I mean, they ride and they're, they're a steward or we need more course designers. We need more judges. There's so much you can do in the horse sport, even, even as I say, okay, I, I started, you know, several, you know, often on this Olympic journey and then, oh my God, they I've got yeah one that's become a great veterinarian it's like wow good for you and you know still rides and things but yeah. you know finding whatever it's your your passion it's it's just wonderful opportunity and even that you know with USHJA uh like we were just in a board meeting the last couple of days and and so much that goes on all these professionals and what they do and you know the horse brings us together but there's so much you can do in the sport or or a blacksmith uh I mean there's there's so many different things uh so for the kids today to to I don't know what horses teach you, what they can do for kids today, you know, follow your dreams, follow your passions. Uh, the horses are the greatest teachers in a way, uh, the ups and downs that go with them, uh, winning, losing, uh, being your best friend, um, how to take better care of them, all of those things. It's really quite magic uh, what horses can do for you. Tell me about an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian world maybe just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. I guess for me, really, that for us, I think really the connection to the horse. I don't know oh, how to say it exactly, but I know my success was really, as I say, this connection and the love of the horse. Um I don't know, that's something you talk about, but even my kids to try to get them to, yes, be with the blacksmith, be with the veterinarian, uh, the body worker, or or if you're doing any kind of therapy with them. To, to the time off the horse is very, very important to really know your animal, to uh, how they are in the stall. You know, yes, I have a full service business and we have grooms that clean them up and clean the stalls and all those things. Um, and yet I think the hands-on part 
of, of the real love for the horse. Sometimes, you know, we get so competitive and it's off to the horse show and off to the horse show. Yet I really believe the top riders today, that connection is really what separates them. Uh, th- there's a, and you watch the top Europeans and I know many of them, uh, the, the, really the love, the love of the horse and not to forget that sometimes we get into business and some, some of riders, yeah, it's a commodity. Some play, oh, you know, we're just selling them and it's just a commodity and okay, I get it. Maybe mm, a lower level one. But to me, all of my horses are treated pretty much like they're going to the Olympics. That's just the way I treat them. That's just, I mean, just a, a high standard, I guess I want to say. Ooh, Eros, we kept around a lot, you know, I had him from when he was five, my Olympic silver medal horse till he was 35, I think. Um, wow. And that uh, I could write a book about the whole journey of that horse's life. And then when he got older, you know, I still have some other ones that are old and retired and 20s. And I don't know, the love for the horse and really getting inside the horse, not just on top of the horse. You know, what makes the horse tick? The feeding, the, sure, the shots and the shoeing and the, I don't know. I always have to go back to that personally that maybe people don't talk about so much, but even in the riding, you know, when you have a great day or, or you have a rough day, how is my horse feeling about it? Or they pull you through something when you're having a hard time with your life. Uh, I think, I think that, um, and then also kind of along with that, that would be one thing. And then the, the sort of the mindset or the sports psychology part of the sport. I think people talk more about that today than, than maybe we used to, than people ever used to really a long time ago. The only psychology kind of books out were like in the late 70s, the inner game of tennis. And now today, you know, there are books all over the place and yeah. you can talk to many, many mindset coaches. And so I think that also, um, so the love of the horse would be one thing, but then I think another big thing, but they're starting, people are talking about it more and books being written, even for equestrians, um, but the mindset piece of riding, and that's that visualization. But even that to me is the connection with the horse as well. Right, right. It's kind of what it all boils down to. You get it yeah, because it's the, how you feel or how you're, you know, if you're kind of not feeling like a winner, I promise you're probably not going to really ride like a winner. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? If you're feeling like a winner. So how to get into that mindset to be your best for your, for your horse. I mean, I, I know when I sort of got into some sports psychology and trying to find those books, like in the late seventies, early eighties, and there just weren't any hardly around. And anyway, for me, it was, how could I be the best partner to my horse? And part of that was the mental game. And now you can really, really um, get great coaching and, and uh, help with that. Um, not, not only for riding, not only for riding, again, you as a human being, you being a better person, uh, trying to understand life a little better. But I think for, for, I think a lot of riders and many top riders do it. And now we're even talk about it. McLean has been, been very, uh, you know, is forthright about it and, um, about the mental game of the sport. And I think that ties in a lot with horses because of, of, uh, how sensitive they are, um, so that, that would be a big thing to follow up on, I think. Absolutely. Well, Anne, thank you so much for taking the time to walk me through the moments of your life and kind of your love and passion for the sport. It definitely shows. Um, so I appreciate everything you do for the industry and sharing all of your knowledge. And I just wish you all the best. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me on because um people like you that share this information of all the different people you've talked to. Um, I think it's so fantastic. So good job for you. I appreciate you inviting me and keep up the good work.
Thank you. And I'm excited. We're going to go live in, I think, next week on May 20th to um, have anyone who wants to come on our Instagram live to ask and questions about the jumpers. Great. Very excited. We'll talk to you then. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.